0: Well, this is our third week here. I spent the first week, we went through a large section uh, of the passages prior to Matthew 24. And the reason why is because as Jesus enters into Jerusalem in chapter 21, he's declaring himself to be the Messiah. He's declaring himself to be the king. And a portion of the culture received him as king, as the Messiah, but the vast majority did not. And in that section, there's, there's... much discussion between Jesus and the religious leaders of the time, those who ought to have known better, who knew the word, who knew God, who loved God, who were leaders in the culture, and they missed Jesus. Some of them by a little bit, some of them by a lot. So now as we come into 24, last week, we looked at this first section where the disciples are listening to Jesus' words, And each one of these men are processing through the information that Jesus is speaking through their own personalities, through their own life experiences, through their common cultural experience. And as they're listening to Jesus rebuke the religious establishment and declare how often he wanted to gather the children of Israel to himself, but they were not willing and he pronounces this, your house is left to you, desolate. The disciples are hearing these words. And now as they're, as they're leaving the temple platform, again, they're they're look at look at this incredible structure, these buildings that are declaring who our God is as the children of Israel. This this monument to be a declaration that God is dwelling in the midst of this people. And Jesus says to him, do you see all these things? Not a single stone is going to be left upon another. And the disciples, they come to Jesus and they ask this guy, how long? And this is, this is something that every single one of us sits in this question in a different way. For those of you who are older, who have been following the Lord for a long time, you're like, how long can start to come into Like, Lord, how long do I have to stay in this body that is breaking down? How long is it going to be before I'm going to see you face to face. Some of that question is going to be cultural. It was for the disciples of how, how long until you set up your kingdom on this earth? How long is it going to be, Jesus, until you rule as king over all of the nations? And we sit in that in our call. Jesus, how, how long, how many more election cycles do we have to sit through before you come and rule all nations as king? How long, Lord? How much how many more children are going to be murdered? How long, Lord, are we going to sit in violence? How long are you going to let the evil live alongside of the righteous? How long, Lord, are you not Are you going to allow poverty to continue? For the younger guys in the room, it's how long, Lord, before you know, I get to move out of the house. How long? The boys just got their driver's license. Yes! We've waited so long. How long? Right? We all cry out to the Lord in our different contexts and our different life experiences. How long? But I want you to hear that what Jesus is responding to each one of the disciples. Because, yes, they sit in their cultural context of how long before you Rule this nation, Israel, as king and rule over all the nations as king. Peter's going to ask that question and hear Jesus' response to that question through his own perspective and through his own lens. Even though they all live in the same culture, he's going to hear it through his own lens. Simon the Zealot, the other Simon of the disciples, he's going to hear it through a different perspective. Judas Iscariot is going to hear it one way. Matthew is going to hear it another way. And it's not that it's, Jesus is saying different things to different people. It's each one of them are hearing our Lord through their lens and their perspective. Just like you hear the response of Jesus through your particular life experience, where you are now, and what your perspective on life has been up until this point. But this is the cry of how long. And Jesus begins his his response to this exhortation is we need to take heed, we need to learn We need to pay attention to our time and our context, and we need to know the word of God, and we need to press into the Lord in prayer as we follow him to give us understanding in our particular context. And that's really why we're turning to this passage. Each one of us, culturally, we're sitting in this environment together, whether it's COVID, whether it's elections, whether it's racial issues, whether it's violence, wars, the earthquakes, again, all these different things that Jesus talks about, famines. Again, just last week, 30 million people in America didn't have enough food to eat in the prior week. That's astonishing. But Jesus says all of these things, these are commonplace to humanity for all times. But as the time draws closer to his return, the, our understanding is these things are going to have greater and greater upheaval. But then he began to talk about persecution. And persecution leads to many things in the Christian's life. Persecution leads to suffering. For some, persecution leads to death and martyrdom. Persecution can lead to deception. Because as those who come in that are persecuting believers in Jesus Christ, they're going to be offering different opinions. Persecution leads to apostasy. In Jesus says that as... The persecution in different times, and again, as as the time draws near, that many people are going to be offended because of the persecution, and they're going to turn away from Christ, and not only turn away from Christ, but turn away from people that they consider to be brothers and sisters in the Lord. But persecution, Jesus tells us, also leads to mission. That his exhortation to us is regardless of what our life context is, we endure patiently and remain with him, Trusting that this gospel of his kingdom will be proclaimed in all of the nations. Just like his gospel of his kingdom has been proclaimed to you. And you bend the knee to him as king, as God, as Lord, as savior, as master. So he gives this big general statement that we can see that would apply to believers in Jesus throughout all times. For the last 2,000 years. And then we can also see at the same time. And interpret what he said. In our particular culture. and our particular time. As we watch what we believe. As the end time. Being very close to the end. in the coming of Jesus. Now I titled this morning's sermon. The sign. And it's because the sign. I'll give you the punch line now. The sign that we are looking for. Is Jesus himself. But. For the most part this morning, we're just going to sit in a particular sign, which is what he calls the abomination of desolation. So we're going to read all the way down. We're going to read from verse 15 here through verse 31. But we're really only going to cover probably the first 10 verses or so. We'll see how far we get with the time that we have available. So he says in verse 15, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place. Whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation. Such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, not ever shall, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Then, if anyone says to you, look... Here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east... And flashes to the west. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then... All the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now, I made a comment to Julie this week that po- prophecy is extremely difficult because there is so much information. And as we engage a text like this, we want to make sure that we're not just sitting in tidbits of information and attempting to put all of that prophetic information in an order so that we can have everything figured out. Yes, that is applicable. Yes, we want to do that. But in doing that, we want to make sure that we never miss the sign that Jesus told us to be watching for. And that is Jesus himself. So when we sit and the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the heavens... The sign is Jesus himself appearing. And I say that to say this. We are not looking for famines. We are not looking for diseases. We are not looking for earthquakes. We are not looking for wars. We are not looking for political change. We are not looking for the Antichrist. We are not looking for anything or anyone else other than Jesus himself. Whenever... I'm speaking from personal experience. Whenever I start looking for other things or for other remedies, that is what becomes big in my mind and my heart. I become judgmental. I become angry. I become fleshly. I become a know-it-all. I told my mom this morning, I am so sick and tired of being a judge. I just want to be done offering my opinion on things that i only know this much about i know i know very little about jesus's day and time i know what the history books tells us i know what commentators can tell us but when i offer my opinion i want to make sure that i'm letting you know that like these things are my opinion this is my understanding I believe that Jesus is going to rapture the church, that everybody who believes in Jesus Christ is going to be instantly in the twinkle of an eye caught up to him in the air and that we're going to be with him forever prior to the events that we're even studying this morning. We have brothers and sisters in Jesus that are going to abide in his life and his presence for all eternity that have a totally different opinion than I do. And that's okay. I'm done judging people. I'm done picking up stones and throwing it at other, other people's heads. I'm done picking up stones and pretending like I'm the know it all and I've got it all figured out. And I'm giving this all to you right now. Like I sit in the news today, it's just, I don't know what to believe, but I do know who to believe. So when I keep my attention on Jesus, I know that I am solid, I'm standing in the right place. I know that he is speaking to me. I know that he is leading me and that whatever the future holds, Jesus, it's in your hands. So let me hear you today and let me follow you today and tomorrow. That being said, now I'm going to give you a whole bunch of opinion, okay? So hold your place here and we're going to turn back to Daniel because we have the question in Daniel chapter eight is where we're going to go. What is the abomination of desolation. Daniel brings this up four different times in the 12 chapters that we have. So we're going to look at defining, because we are told as readers in Matthew 24 that we are to understand what Jesus is talking about. He makes this therefore statement. When you see this, run. What's he talking about? So Daniel chapter eight and just um, commercial break. Uh, John Walvard, right? Is it John? Anybody? John Walvard? Yes. Walver W-A-L-V-O-O-R-D is the author's last name. He was a president of Dallas Theological Seminary. He has a commentary on Daniel, which is very hard to find good commentaries on Daniel. It's called Daniel, the Key to Prophetic Revelation. He also has a commentary on the book of Revelation, the Revelation of Jesus Christ. Excellent books in regards to simple teaching, straightforward, gets to the point, offers the different opinions, but keeps it short and concise. I offer that to you, because if you really want to sit in this information, it's good to have a lot of history, especially in Daniel, because Daniel... If, if you don't have the history to walk alongside of it, it makes it extremely difficult to understand what's going on. And I say that because in, Ma- in Daniel chapter 8, we're jumping right into the middle of a vision in verse 9. It says, Out of one of them came a little horn. This little horn, this is the Antichrist, okay? Which grew up exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land, the land of Israel. And it grew up. Listen to this, talking about this little horn. This is this is again in reference to the future Antichrist. It grew up to the host of heavens. It cast down some of the host and some of the stars to the ground and trampled them. He even exalted himself as high as the prince of the host. And by him The daily sacrifices were taken away, and the place of his sanctuary, God's sanctuary, was cast down. Because of transgression, an army was given over to the horn to oppose the daily sacrifices, and he cast truth down to the ground. He did all this and prospered. Then I heard a holy one speaking, so an angel, and another holy one said, so another angel, to the certain one who was speaking, and here it is, how long, how long will the vision be concerning the daily sacrifices, and here's our word, and the transgression of desolation, referring to this abomination of desolation, the giving of both the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot. And he said to me for 2,300 days, and the sanctuary shall be cleansed. Now, there's a historical context for Daniel. There's a near interpretation of what happened after Daniel's time. And then we can also sit in this in a far prophetic interpretation for the end times. So there is in the future, and we're going to give further context to this as we go through this morning. There's a little horn. He is identified as the Antichrist. This future leader is going to, it says that the daily sacrifices are going to be taken away, the place of God's altar. So again, this is talking about a temple in Jerusalem, sacrifices going on in Jerusalem. We don't see that today. We're going to discuss that in a few minutes. Casting truth down to the ground, but this this abomination of desolation, this transgression of desolation here is in reference to uh, a disgusting... Abomination in what is to represent the presence of God in the midst of men. Turn over to Daniel chapter 9, famous prophecy here in verse 24. Again, like I said, we're going through a whole bunch of information. It's going to give us context to the abomination of desolation. There's a lot of interpretation. If this is new to you, I know your eyes are going to roll back in your head. If this is familiar to you, um, it should be a good review. 70 weeks, 77s are determined. So, 70 weeks of years, this is 490 years are determined. For your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem. So this is from Cyrus, again, after the time of of, uh, Daniel. Until Messiah, the prince, so until Jesus, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So 69 of the 70s. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. After the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off but not for himself. And you can sit in the math of this information from the time that Cyrus commanded for Jerusalem to be rebuilt until Jesus entered into Jerusalem, declaring himself to be king was 483 years. It's awesome how this was fulfilled. He was cut off. He was killed. He died. But again, there, the prophecy not for himself. He died for the sins of all humanity. And the people of the prince who is to come... This you can put Rome in quotes. Again, it's sitting in prophetic interpretation. There's a revival of the Roman Empire coming. The people of the prince shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with the flood. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. Then he, again, this is uh, the Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant... With many for one week, this final 70th week, in the middle of the week, so halfway in between, three and a half years, he shall bring an end to sacrifice, and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. So here again, the second time, talking about this abomination of desolation causing the sacrifices to end and setting up a disgusting, abominable idol in the temple. Next one, we're jumping into the middle of another prophecy, another vision in chapter 11. This fulfilled in history by Antiochus IV, Epiphanies, and you can sit in this. This was about 170 B.C. Uh, jumping in the middle of verse 30 of chapter 11 says, so he shall return and show regard for those who forsake the holy covenants and forces shall be mustered by him and they shall defile the sanctuary fortress and they shall take away the daily sacrifices and place there the abomination of desolation. Those who do wickedly against the covenant shall corrupt with flattery, but the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. And those of the people who understand shall instruct many, for yet many days they shall fall by the sword and flame, by captivity and plundering. Now when they fall, they shall be aided with a little help. But many shall join with them by intrigue. And some of those of understanding shall fall to refine them, purify them, and make them white until the time of the end because it is still for the appointed time. So again, you can sit in history and look at what Antiochus Epiphanes did in regards to sacrificing a pig on the altar, defiling it, all the blood issue, the idol that he set up in the temple of God at that time. So Antiochus was a near fulfillment of that. And he is a type and a picture of the future Antichrist. Chapter 12. We'll read through the whole chapter. It says, at that time, Michael shall stand up. The great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as was never since there was a nation. So when Jesus is talking about a great tribulation, this is what he is referring to. Even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Speaking about resurrection. Some to everlasting life. And some to shame and everlasting content. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Listen to that statement again. Those who are wise. Remember Jesus? Well, it's Matthew giving commentary. When Jesus talks about the abomination, to desolation, he's telling us as readers, pay attention to what Jesus is talking about. Reader, understand reader, be wise is the language that's being used. Those who are wise... Are going to shine why because the wise one is going to bend the knee to jesus and be clothed in his righteousness and receive his sacrifice and receive his eternal life we're going to shine like the brightness of the firmament to those listen to this in regards to your testimony to others in regards to you walking alongside of other human beings turning many to jesus and to his righteousness you are told that you are going to shine like stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and, the, and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro. This is again one of the signs that we are living in the end time in regards to our global ability to travel, that we can get halfway around the world in a day is absolutely astonishing. Knowledge shall increase. We are watching that occur in our time to exponential degrees. Then I, Daniel, looked and there were there stood two others. One on this riverbank. And the other on that riverbank. And one said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, again, here we go, how long, how long, Lord, shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? Then I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, and he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven. And swore by him who lives forever that it shall be for a time, times, and half a time. About three and a half years. And when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. Again, this is talking about this last three and a half years of the great tribulation, which was, is what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 24. Although I heard, I did not understand. Anybody in that position with Daniel hearing all this? Again, prophecy is very hard. It's a lot of information. It's a lot to take in and sit in. Then I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Many shall be purified, made white and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand. But here's Jesus's, well, I keep saying Jesus, which it's his word. But Matthew's interjection, but the wise shall understand. Reader, understand, verse 11. And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. But you go your way till the end for you shall rest. And here's all of our hope. You will rise to your inheritance at the end of days. So four times Daniel is given a vision in regards to this Abomination of desolation. Turn to Second Thessalonians chapter two, and then we're going to go back to Matthew. But all this we need is context to understand. We need this as context for wisdom. So this is now Paul, and we just we just uh, studied this not two, probably a couple months ago as we sat in Second Thessalonians. But a lot of what as we read through Daniel, I'm defining who the little horn is. All right, I'm giving some context to or interpretation to what we were reading as we read through Daniel. Here, Paul gives a lot of that definition that I just gave. 2 okay? Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, brethren, concerning the coming, the arrival, the physical presence of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you, Not to be soon, not to be hastily shaken in your mind or troubled, alarmed, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Remember, Jesus' instruction, do not be deceived. Many are going to come. Jesus is already here. He's out in the desert. He's in the inner room. All these kinds of things. The Thessalonians were struggling with that because people are beginning to die. When? How long? When is he going to come back? And the exhortation for all of us is not to be alarmed, not to be troubled, not to be deceived in our life context. Let no one deceive you by any means. Why? For that day will not come Unless the falling away comes first. And this falling away, there is a great rebellion, a great abandonment coming that even as we sat in Matthew 24, the effect of persecution, that many are going to be offended. The love of many is going to go cold. They're going to turn on one another. They're going to hate one another. This is this apostasy, this great falling away that's going to come first. And, he says, the man of sin, that little horn of Daniel... The man of sin, the Antichrist, the man of sin, he will be revealed. The son of perdition, the son of destruction. It says, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. So that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. The abomination of desolation. The future man of sin, the future antichrist, the future son of perdition, that is what Jesus is referring to. When you see this man exalting himself above God, all that is called God, all that is worshipped, declaring himself to be God in the temple of God, run. Run. Verse 5, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Remember, Paul was only in Thessalonica for about three weeks, three Sundays, three Sabbaths. And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. We believe that to be the Holy Spirit by interpretation. We believe that to be Jesus removing his church out of this world prior to him pouring out his wrath upon it in witness and in judgment so that all those who are alive and remain will still bend the knee to Jesus before he comes back. Then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. And all this is similar language to what Jesus himself told the disciples. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders. With all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. That they may be condemned with those who did not believe the truth but had pleasure In unrighteousness. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you. Brethren, beloved by the Lord. Because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification. By the spirit and belief in truth. To which he called you by our gospel. For the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at what we have been given in Jesus. Therefore, brethren, stand fast. Hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or epistle. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Amen. All right, back to, you to, back to Matthew twenty-four. A lot of information, huh? You're welcome. But we, as readers of this, we are directed to understand. So often, it is really easy to read a passage in the Bible and say, I don't have a clue what that is talking about. Next chapter, please. Jesus wants us to be curious. He wants us to ask questions. He wants us to dig in. His word tells us as a confident promise, that if you seek him, you will find him. The information, the answer that you need, not the answer that you want, the answer that you need, he will give you when you ask him, whatever that is. And again, this is what it means to bend the knee to him. He's Lord. And we do. We cry out, Lord, I want you to take away the suffering, take away the trial. How long? When? We ask all these questions, but that heart of faith submits to him, Lord, I trust you. I will endure. I will be patient. I have nowhere else to go. I don't want to go anywhere else. So here is Jesus is communicating to his disciples their desire to know when, how long, Again, sit in this in your, what what are you desiring Jesus to act on in your life right now? So sit in that emotion of hearing how long. And I guarantee the disciples received an answer from Jesus that they weren't looking for, that they didn't quite understand, but it's exactly what they needed and it's exactly what we need. So here, there's there's a transition at this therefore statement that in the first section, it's very clear that Jesus is talking about believers all time, from his ascension to his return, all believers sit in that kind of cultural context at one time or another, whatever that may look like. Now as he shifts into this therefore statement, we got, we got an interpretation issue. And this is the issue, when you see the abomination of desolation, which we just read through five different passages that give us a description of what it is, that there is a temple standing in Jerusalem, there are daily sacrifices going on in Jerusalem, and there is this individual who is going to cause those sacrifices to cease and set up either an idol or himself in the temple to be worshipped as God. Revelation talks about this, again, the, you know, the, the, the beast, the statue, the mark of the beast, and all the, you know, this declaration of this idol that's set up in humanity bowing down to this idol. It's all the same description that's being given. So again, the interpretation issue is there's not a temple in Jerusalem. For those of you that have been there, those of you that have seen pictures, there is no temple. There is no daily sacrifices. So we have two options. One, what Jesus is referring to already happened, and it happened in the temple was destroyed in AD 70 by the Romans. So what Jesus is saying is either already happened in history, or there is a temple that is going to be rebuilt. The sacrifices in in Israel will again be reinstated. And that's where I sit in this information. And again, there's a lot of prophecy, there's a lot of information that we have to sit in description-wise. When I sit in all of this text, when we just go through all the information that we went to in Daniel, what we were just at in 2 Thessalonians, just that information alone, that has not happened in history. So I come to the conclusion, therefore, it's still future. Now, that's my opinion. It's my judgment That's how I understand, and I have brothers and sisters, we have brothers and sisters that have a totally different viewpoint and stand in in an absolute different way, okay? But my opinion's correct. Um, And this is where we sit in a lot of it. So the holy place, this is where this disgusting, desolating all the symbol symbolism and imagery behind what is going on in the temple, um, through the sacrifices, it is all all of it is an intentional offense against God in his holy place is what's being described, and this is what we're supposed to understand, but then he gives this context of the then statement. so when you see this, run, and the description is given in a way of. For the guy who is out in the field working where you've taken off your outer garment and you've laid it on the side of the field and you're out there in the heat of the day and you're working, when you hear about and when you see the abomination of desolation being set up, don't go get your garment at the edge of the field, run. And again, the context is Judea. Those who are in Judea's specific location, run. Those who are on the rooftop, again, when was the last time you hung out on your roof? You don't. It's not, it's not our culture. It's not our context. You go to the Middle East flat roofs. This is where, this is the patio of that location of the world. If you're on your roof and this occurs, don't go down in the house. Go on the stairs on the outside of the house and run. Woe to those who are pregnant or nursing children. Why? Go sit in, again, there's a when Jerusalem was conquered historically in regards to what happens to women and to children and to babies, it is absolutely atrocious. Run. Pray that it's not in the winter. Why? Because traveling in the winter makes travel hard. Pray that it's not on the Sabbath. Why? Because you can only go so far on the Sabbath day. Can you travel as far as you want on Saturday? We go as far as we want to in our culture, Right? Because this Jesus is spe- specifically talking to the Jews in this section. He is specifically talking to Jerusalem. He is specifically talking to this culture. at this the, the culture that this happens to is who he is communicating the information to. Where above, when he's talking about that they are in verse 9. He's talking about the deliver you up to tribulation, they'll kill you. You're going to be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Seems to be all believers. Here, he seems to be talking about Jewish, not just uh, Jewish believers, but even Jewish unbelievers at this time, and you can sit in, Revel- or in Romans 9, 10, and 11, in regards to the promise that there is coming a day, and there's other prophecies too, when all the nation of Israel is going to turn to Jesus as Messiah. Verse 21, he says, Then there will be great tribulation. So that's in Daniel 9, we talked about that one week, those seven years in the middle of that week, three and a half years into it. That's what we believe Jesus is talking about where this is what's going to be the great tribulation. And then for further information, you can sit in Revelation chapters 6 through 19 for the dominant description of that, which takes you essentially back into every other prophecy of the Bible. It's all, do all of your heads hurt yet? Yes, no, maybe so. Again, this is where the exhortation of where we keep our eyes on the sign, which is on Jesus himself. And he says that this great tribulation that is coming, it's not just a hyperbolic statement, something that he is using in extreme exaggeration. This is the definition of what that time will look like. This has not happened in history. Even when you sit in the Jewish war of 66 to 73 AD, it does not fit This description, verse 22, unless those days were shortened, he says no flesh would be saved but for the elect's sake. Now this is what's hard when you talk about the word elect. The church is referred to as the elect. The nation of Israel is referred to as the elect. And there's also a group in the great time of the great tribulation that is future believers that is defined as the elect. So, again, this is opinion. This is by way of interpretation. The elect that is being referred to is the nation of Israel, not to the church. For the Jews' sake, those days will be shortened. Again, that is uh, my interpretation. That's not my own, but that's how I understand this passage. Verse 23, Then if anyone says to you, Look, Again, there's all these warnings. False Christs are coming, false prophets are coming. You look at not just in our day where you have charismatic personalities that are able to obtain a following, there is a true power that Satan and demons can grant to humans that we can see throughout history. But there is a, when you sit in who the Antichrist is, the description what he's able to do, the false prophet, what he is able to do, this idol that they set up, there are great signs, great wonders, miracles that are gonna be performed in a way that humans are gonna say, that is a miracle, that must be from God. But then again, our exhortation that we have from God and from his word, is we are not to listen to just the words of human beings, but we are to press into the truth of what his word says. And we are warned that even it's possible that the elect, those who are chosen, those who Jesus has revealed himself, if it were even possible, that they could be deceived. And this promise that he has told us beforehand that is all that we have time for this morning. So worship team, come on up. And I know we're sitting in more of a Bible study this morning. Um, the information of prophecy, it is always meaty. It takes study. It takes time. It takes pursuit and understanding. It takes that process of trying to filter through everything. But ultimately, Jesus has given us his word about the future so that, one, we will know who he is. So that when we see events that, is, that have happened in the past that were predicted to happen, that we will know and believe and understand that he is God. So that gives us hope and confidence for the future that everything that he has communicated, and we're going to see this as we continue to travel through his application points to us, that every single one of his words will be fulfilled. But then the second exhortation is that as we sit in all this information about prophecy, of Lord, how long and when and what does it look like? And right now in our culture, you know, Lord, what are you going to do about this? What are you going to do about this wretched man? That we have hope and confidence and trust and the exhortation to continually keep your eyes on the sign, which is Jesus himself. We are looking for him to reveal himself today as we, as we study his word, as we worship right now, as we pray, as we fellowship with one another, as we go about our day. Jesus, would you please manifest yourself and all of your glory, and all of your wisdom, and all of your life, and all of your power today. And then, Jesus, all of we're asking, when? Jesus, when are you gonna come back, and when are you gonna fix all of the brokenness that we see? Jesus, I know that I'm yours. I look to you for salvation. I look to you for cleansing. Save me, Lord. Give to me that new heart. Give to me that new mind. Transform this life into the image of yourself. Don't let this world leave its imprint and its mark and its lies and its disgust, its abominations and its empty desolations upon me. Don't let me be deceived by fancy talkers and charismatic individuals. Jesus, every moment of every day, I need to see you. I need to hear you. And you have given to me a hope that there is coming a day, whether it's today, whether it's I live out a full life, there's coming a day, Lord, where I'm going to open my eyes and I'm going to see you in all of your glory. We are praying, Jesus, that you come quickly. Our desire is for you to come and to rule your creation, that all humanity would know you. May they hear the good news of the gospel of your kingdom and choose to bend their entire lives to you in submission and in love, trusting, Lord, that you are the one that has clothed us in your righteousness.